Greetings, and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and this episode covers Econet News, Volume 25, Issue Number 3, March 2023. Flanagan's Ecologic, Oyster Bay, Long Island. The small waterfront village of Oyster Bay, where I grew up and where my mother lives, is known for at least three things. First, the oysters. Oyster Bay has a history of providing about 90% of New York State's oyster harvest. Second, Oyster Bay was the summer White House for, and is the final resting place of, U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt. Third, Billy Joel. The town of Oyster Bay is much larger than the village. The town covers 169 square miles, is home to just over 300,000 people, covering a big stretch of Long Island's North Shore and Nassau County, extending Cross Island south to Massapequa and Jones Beach and this on the South Shore. The town is made up of 36 villages and hamlets. The village of Oyster Bay is one of these, with a population of around 7,000. It's arguably the best of the bunch. Oyster is the common name for a number of different families of saltwater bivalve mollusks. They live in brackish and saltwater bays like Oyster Bay, as well as estuaries, tidal creeks, shallow ocean areas, and intertidal zones. Most oysters, but not all, are in the family Austroidea. There are different oyster species, Atlantic, European, flat oysters, Pacific oysters, including Blue Point, Shigoku, and Kumai oysters. You know, people seem to love them or hate them, or are too nervous to try them. Yes, oysters, oysters certainly create an unusual sensation going down the hatch. Just the other night, my Ecomotion colleague Mark Hopkinson and I each had a dozen local oysters, artfully dabbing them with horseradish and cocktail sauce and some form of vinegar. Mom had the clams. The next day, we head to the Oyster Bay waterfront, to the site of the old Jacobson's shipyard, which serviced New York City's tugboats when I was a kid. The big M on their side is etched in my memory and refers to Moran Marine Transportation and Harbor Services. We are at the waterfront center to check out the restoration of the 50-foot oyster boat, the Ida May. It's a community project led by a friend George Lindsay and the Christine Oyster Sloop Preservation Corporation. Its mission is to preserve Oyster Bay's marine heritage by involving the community in traditional boat building. The Ida May is an historic oyster boat that plied the harbor here for 75 years until 2003. It was one of the first oyster dredges to be powered by an engine. Prior to that, oystermen used sailing sloops to harvest oysters. Turns out the original Ida May was too far gone for repair. Since the original Ida May, built in 1925, was too rotten to recondition, this group of community leaders have raised nearly a million dollars, including a Billy Joel donation, and are spearheading the construction of an exact replica of the Ida May, its second oyster boat project. Six professional shipwrights work every day on the Ida May, guiding teams of volunteers. When launched this spring, the Ida May will be a floating classroom, a Coast Guard certified vessel, 
able to take out 49 students at a time to dredge and harvest and to raise awareness about the role of oysters in the local marine ecology and Oyster Bay's maritime history. The Ida May is planned to launch on May 3rd. It's a good walk from our property to the cove, a small beach access where I launched my laser for summer day sailing. This past month, the cold temperatures of February, accentuated with snow flurries, had me walking briskly indeed, tracking my steps on my aura ring. I am drawn to water and trek to the cove each day. Cold water, cold birds, boats out. Theodore and Edith Roosevelt's grave is just across from the cove, up on a hill overlooking his beloved Oyster Bay. I walked up to his gravesite, to this day managed by my classmate Phil Roosevelt. I am once again struck by its simplicity. I am alone. There's a fresh blanket of wet snow. The grave is humbly, humbly fenced and marked. I think of the man I've read so much about. I marvel at the serenity of these hallowed woods, a wonderful resting place. One day I walked the extra miles to Sagamore Hill, Theodore Roosevelt's home. I trek along the winter water's edge, past the indoor tennis courts. Sagamore Hill sits proudly on a hill, a spectacular promontory with barns and wind-powered water pumper. It's a gray, overcast New York day. Today, the home and acreage is a national historic site managed by the National Park Service. I chat with a friendly ranger and use a posted QWERTY code to get the details. The house was originally called Leeholm, named after T.R.'s first wife, and then later named Sagamore Hill. Sagamore is the Algonquin word for chieftain, the head of the tribe. The house was built in 1884 and then expanded in 1905. The addition includes the famous North Room, full of hunting trophies and gifts from foreign dignitaries. The 26th president lived at Sagamore Hill for 30 years until his death in 1919. After his two-term presidency and before embarking on his trip down the River of Doubt, Sagamore Hill is where T.R. went to lick his wounds after his humiliating presidential defeat to William Howard Taft in 1909. At Sagamore Hill, T.R. had his game room, wonderful forests and great views of the harbor, a path down to the beach. Billy Joel is proud of his Oyster Bay roots. From a town known as Wheeling, West Virginia, from a town known as Oyster Bay, Long Island, and the town is proud to have him live here. He now calls Oyster Bay home. And why not? He's got his roots there, and he can always fly a helicopter from his home on Center Island in Oyster Bay to the roof of Madison Square Garden in New York City. That's a venue he has sold out more than 70 times. He calls the garden his office. Sound checks are done earlier by his longtime piano roadie. Billy Joel flies in, calmly walks on stage, performs to wildly enthusiastic fans and great applause, and then helicopters home. Billy Joel was born in the Bronx. He then moved out on Long Island and went to Hicksville High School. At his mother's insistence, he was forced to take piano lessons. I think his teacher also taught ballet, and Joel would be ridiculed going to his lessons. Later, he became a boxer to defend himself. In fact, he was a Golden Globes amateur who won 22 bouts. Apparently, he abandoned that after a broken nose in bout 24. Billy Joel dropped out of high school and then made clear his direction to pursue music. To hell with it. If I'm not going to Columbia University, I'm going to Columbia Records. 
and you don't need a high school diploma over there. He went on to become one of the best-selling music artists of all time. He is the seventh best-selling recording artist and fourth best-selling solo artist in the United States, with over 160 million records sold worldwide. And yes, he did get his high school diploma 25 years later. He had huge hits in the 1970s and the 1980s. Piano Man became his signature song. He went from being a solo artist to working with full rock bands. In 1987, he was one of the first artists to perform a concert tour of the Soviet Union following the country's alleviation of the ban on rock music. He self-penned 33 top 40 hits in the United States, won six Grammys, and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Quote of the month, the IPCC's sixth assessment makes for grim reading. Across nearly 8,000 pages, the AR6 details the devastating consequences of rising greenhouse gas emissions and the irreversible risks should we fail to change course. But the IPCC also offers hope, highlighting pathways to avoid these intensifying risks. It identifies readily available and in some cases highly cost-effective actions. While the window to address the climate crisis is rapidly closing, the IPCC affirms that we still can secure a safe, livable future. World Resources Summary, IPCC's 2023 Greenhouse Gas Assessment Report. Nutritional and Ecological Values of Oysters. For those of us that like eating oysters, they are hugely positive in terms of nutrition. They have few carbs, fewer fats, and lots of protein. They're rich in vitamins and minerals, a good source of zinc, selenium, copper, iron, and vitamin D, B12. Oysters have omega-3 fatty acids and antioxidants. They help manage body weight and blood sugar levels, reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, improve sexual drive, treat erectile dysfunction, and improve bone health. Oysters also have tremendous ecological value. They are extraordinary natural water purifiers, extremely important in countering excesses in runoff of fertilizers and other organic waste that cause algal blooms. Oysters are regarded as the natural solution to pollution. A full-grown oyster can filter up to 50 gallons of water each day, a small bathtub's worth. They feed by filtering water through their gills. Oysters in the Chesapeake Bay once could filter a volume of water equivalent to the entire bay in a week, 19 trillion gallons. Today, it would take a year for the remaining oysters to do so. Oysters capture algae and other microorganisms. They remove excess nitrogen and phosphorus and other pollutants. They have the ability to consume and then shape pollutants into small packets which are then deposited on the seafloor. A number of factors have caused the alarming decline in oyster beds and population. Infringements on wetlands and marshes, increased pollution and erosion from developments, over-harvesting, and increased water temperatures. Oyster populations in the U.S. peaked in the late 1800s, then declined in the 1990s. Many oysters were sickened by Perkinsus marinus in the 1940s. Oyster reefs are one of the most imperiled habitats in the world, with 85% of wild reefs lost over the past century. 
This speaks to the importance of regional efforts. New York's Billion Oysters Projects intends to engage one million people to restore one billion oysters in New York Harbor by 2035. Other initiatives involving educating the public, building new reefs and habitat using recycled shells, concrete, and crushed limestones. Three closing notes in a timeline. Oysters are sessile, meaning that they stay in one place. Males sometimes become females. Female oysters release over 100 million eggs in a spawning event. Baby oysters, called spat, grow into juveniles in one year, and adults in three years. Tesla and heat pumps. The third iteration of Tesla's master plan was unveiled at Tesla's Investor Day in early March. Master Plan 3 outlines a path to a fully sustainable future for the Earth. It presents spheres of activity, electric vehicles, solar roofs and battery storage, and a fully sustainable Earth. It includes heat pumps. Creating a sustainable energy civilization will take five steps. Repowering the existing electrical grid with renewables switching to electric vehicles, electrifying high-temperature industrial chemical processes such as cement and steel and fertilizers, sustainable fueling planes and boats. Last but not least is switching to heat pumps in homes, businesses, and industries. Heat pumps are part of Elon Musk's master plan. He started by installing heat pumps in Model Y Teslas, then rolling the technology out to other models, now Tesla is making waves by suggesting its entry into the heat pump business for homes. As our society decarbonizes and makes power clean and local, heat pumps powered with solar systems pair nicely. According to ACHR News, a trade publication on air conditioning, heating, and refrigeration, heat pumps currently meet about 10% of building needs. The implementation of heat pumps is the lowest hanging fruit in terms of displacing fossil fuels. There's a three-time reduction in the total energy required to heat these buildings with a heat pump compared to a conventionally heated building. High-speed rail to Las Vegas. Taking a bullet train from Los Angeles to, to Las Vegas is now a step closer to reality. Its private sector developer, Brightline, announced that a trade agreement was reached on February 23rd with a coalition of major labor unions. 13 rail unions formed the High Speed Rail Labor Coalition in support of the project. The construction project will create 35,000 jobs. The concept is elegant, using the medium of Interstate 15 for much of the rail route. Now that the labor agreement has been reached, the Brightline to Vegas project is slated to begin later this year and may be completed by 2027. The new 218-mile rail system will be a $10 billion investment. Brightline plans to use existing Metrolink rail lines to go from Union Station in LA to Rancho Cucamonga. Then it will use new tracks to head to Vegas with stops in Victor Valley, Esperia, Apple Valley, and Rancho Cucamonga. When construction is complete, the line will result in over 1,000 permanent jobs. Brightline boasts that it will be the most elegant travel by rail experience you can have in America. Furthermore, it will be the catalyst for America's renaissance of travel by high-speed rail. The Brightline trains will run at speeds of up to 200 miles per hour. The rail service will cut down on the more than 40 million one-way trips to Vegas each year by car or bus, with a target ridership reflecting 12 million of those annually. 
That's the equivalent of removing 3 million vehicles and 400,000 tons of CO2 from the road each year. And the rail service will relieve traffic on I-15, traffic that is notoriously bad on weekends. Brightline also plans to build three wildlife crossings to allow animals to safely cross the highway and railway. Brightline is currently providing rail passenger service connecting Miami and Fort Lauderdale and West Palm Beach. The line features perks like happy hour Bloody Marys and ticket deals that include open bars. Six ways to remove CO2 from the atmosphere. Several days ago, Clean Technico, a recommended publication for those thirsty for clean energy revolution stories, presented an important article by the World Resources Institute, WRI. While there's been lots of chatter about removing gaseous CO2 from the air and direct carbon capture, WRI presents a range of sequestration strategies. Since the Industrial Revolution, humans have put 2,000 gigatons of carbon dioxide into the global atmosphere, and more is emitted each year. The climate impacts will only intensify. The United States emitted 6 gigatons in 2021. To stem the climate emergency, critical steps are being taken to fully adopt renewables, tap deep efficiency, stop deforestation, and curb the use of super pollutants like HFCs. WRI states that the latest science tells us that these efforts alone are not enough. We need to not only reduce our emissions, but we've got to take some carbon out of the atmosphere and store it safely underground. WRI presents a six means WRI presents six means of carbon dioxide removal. Number one, trees and forests. Plants sequester carbon through photosynthesis while giving us oxygen. We can boost this by restoring and managing tree cover and by increasing the density of our forests. Silvopasture incorporates trees into animal agriculture. Agroforestry incorporates trees into row crop farming. Urban reforestation is about increasing is about increasing the tree cover in cities. These are relatively low-cost carbon dioxide removal methods at around $50 a ton. Farms and soils, number two. Soils naturally sequester carbon. Since agricultural land covers 40% of America, small increases in sequestration rates can yield big results. Practices like frequent plowing and overgrazing cause a soil erosion and can be stopped Planting cover crops sequesters carbon. Using compost helps plants develop deeper roots. Number three, biomass carbon removal and storage. Biomass carbon removal involves a range of processes to remove CO2 from the air and then store it for long periods of time, well past the timeline of forestry practices. One example of this is the creation of biochar, a material made by heating biomass in low oxygen environments. The product is a soil additive that sequesters carbon. Other strategies are to bury carbon-rich biomass in vaults and converting biomass to hydrogen to capture and sequester carbon in the process. Number four, direct air capture. Direct air capture, DAC, involves chemically scrubbing CO2 from the atmosphere then sequestering the carbon underground or in long-lived products like concrete. Unlike capturing CO2 from power plants, direct air capture is not captured at the source. Thus, it is an energy-intensive and expensive solution 
in the range of $100 to $600 per ton. Number five, carbon mineralization. Some minerals naturally react with carbon, turning CO2 gas into a solid. The process is known as carbon mineralization, or enhanced weathering. It happened naturally, very slowly, over hundreds and thousands of years. Can it be sped up? Could certain mine tailings be used to do so? Researchers are looking into crushing tailings and developing enzymes that chew up mineral deposits, both to increase their surface area and thus their ability to sequester carbon. Number six, ocean-based approaches. The sixth means for CO2 capture is to leverage the ocean's capacity to do so. This work is in its early stages of development, looking at ways to accelerate photosynthesis in coastal plants, seaweed, and phytoplankton. Researchers are analyzing adding minerals to seawater to re react with dissolved CO2 and to lock it away, and how to promote coastal blue carbon that is stored in mangroves, seagrasses, and salt marshes. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.